The following message is from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about Life Source is available at lifesource.org.au. Principles for success from the book of Daniel. Let's open up to Daniel chapter 3. We are going to continue this series that I started obviously last week was Vision Sunday, and so we pressed pause on this series, Principles for Success from Daniel. And uh, we've, we've already done chapter one, chapter two. This week, we'll go into chapter three, so you can open up to chapter three. But so far, what we've done out of chapter one, we've taken three principles of success, and that is principle number one, if you want to be successful, get bitterness out of your heart, no bitterness. You, you want to be successful, have a sweet spirit. Sweet-spirited people are always incredibly attractive. Second principle from chapter one was no mediocrity. Stop being mediocre. The world is filled with mediocre people. You know, just desire excellence. And that's what raised Daniel and his three Hebrew friends right up in circles is that they had a spirit of excellence. Have a spirit of excellence, not spirit of perfection. Spirit of perfection will set you up for failure because we can't be perfect, but we can be excellent. And so if you have a perfectionist attitude, you need to get that out of yourself because that drives people nuts. Excellence is great. Perfectionism is not good. Then the third principle out of chapter one was no compromise. Just do the right thing. Have integrity in your life. No compromise. And that theme comes across time and time uh, in the book of Daniel. But what a way to live life, no compromise. Then we went to chapter 2, and in chapter 2, we saw how Daniel made wisdom his mentor, made time his friend, and made prayer his companion. And if you want to hear that message, go on to our our website, and you can download that message. This week, we're going to be looking at chapter 3, and there's three principles in chapter 3 for success. And those three principles are follow God's word, follow God's ways, and follow God's son. So let's read chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Daniel is one of the most famous Bible stories that children love because it's about the three men who were thrown into a furnace of fire. And I don't know, as a kid, my imagination would just... How many of you remember hearing this story in, in Sunday school where the, the three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were thrown into the fiery furnace and they survived? Amazing story. They survived. And, uh, but there's principles that we want to take out of this story today to help us understand what they did to be successful. So let's read uh, the first six verses of chapter three. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. That is 30 meters. So he made a statue 30 meters high and six cubits wide, three meters wide. So you could see it from a long, long way. He set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the image was of him. How about that for a real proud statement? Hey, it's me. Woohoo! 
Okay. Um, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all the kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. How's that for a bit of motivation? How many of you would like that sort of motivation at home with your kids? You don't obey? There's the oven. Like, no, I'm only kidding you. Please, I'm not giving you any ideas. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the symphony, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, Go to verse 12. So they give word to the king and they say, Hey king, there are certain Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then go to verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I've set up? Now, if you were ready at the time you heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I've made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. How about that for having bitter guts? How about that? for being bold. I love this story. This is seriously, this is just, it gets your, especially when you're a kid, you sort of, you get your imagination really going full blast. So, so what are some of the principles that we get out of this? Well, principle number one is you follow God's word. Come on, you want to be successful in life. Follow God's word. Everybody say, follow God's word. These Hebrew boys, they knew the second commandment. They knew the Ten Commandments. The second commandment is you shall not make for yourselves a graven image, nor shall you bow down to them, nor serve them. Matter of fact, every, every Hebrew in all of the land knew the second commandment as well. They were brought up with the Ten Commandments. But when the music played, they all bowed down, but there were three that sort of stood out in the crowd. And that was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love that. I love that, that these people weren't going to compromise on God's word. They stood out. And let me tell you, when everybody is flat on their face and you're standing, you do stand out big time. They stood out in the crowd. Do you stand out in the crowd? Do I stand out in the crowd as a no compromise, follow God's word person? Or do you follow the crowd? Because there's huge peer group pressure out there. There's huge pressure 
to compromise. There's huge pressure out there to just fall into line. And everybody wants everybody to fall into line. It's like there's a call, be like sheep, just follow, follow the crowd. And uh, the media are the captains of the sheep leaders, and they want you to fall into line with their ideology, with their worldview. But we are called to stand tall in the midst of an ungodly worldview. I was just having a chat this morning before church with um, Virginia Morosi, and um, they send their kids to a public school. And so when the kids come home, they espouse the ungodly worldview that, 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 that our kids are being indoctrinated with. And there's, you know, there's lots of good things. Please, I'm not bashing the public school system. There's lots of good things that they teach. But they come from a worldview that's very different to our worldview. And so Mark and Virginia sit with their kids and they say, you know, when there's a contradiction, hey, that's not our worldview. This is our worldview. And I love that. I commended Virginia. I says, man, that's great parenting. See, great parenting does not outsource your responsibility to teach your kids. You don't outsource it. What you do is that you partner, but you don't outsource it. You partner. And so you bring the kids back and you say, what did you learn? What did you, what was taught? And when you see something is adrift from your godly worldview, you just bring it back into alignment. That's great parenting. Let me give you four different responses to God's word. Four different responses that people have. Number one is there's a lot of people that don't know God's word. And if you don't know God's word, then you'll end up making your own word. You'll end up making your own rules, your own regulations, your own way to do life. If it feels good, do it. And as long as you're not harming anybody, everything is fine. It's probably the most... um, uh, popular response to people that don't know God's word. The second response um, to God's word is they know it, but they put their own interpretation to it. Now that is what you have to be careful of because there's a lot of people out there that have got a preset idea and so then they go to the word of God and they make the word of God fit into their preset idea. And all it is is misinterpreting Scripture. And uh, you have to be aware that there's a lot of false teaching out there that twists the Word of God. And you can't... See, this is the thing is that you've got to read the Word of God as it is. You've got to read it in context. You can't just cherry pick here and cherry pick there and, and, and make it say what you want to say. And there's a lot of stuff out there that makes the Word of God sound like it follows their ideology. But when you hold it into the whole context of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, you see, no, that doesn't make sense. The third um, interpretation that people put to Scripture is they know what they understand it, but they rebel against it. They know what it says. They understand what it says. But it's like, nah, don't want to do it. How many of you know people like that? Well, don't put up your hand. And then the fourth response to the Word of God is we know it and we obey it. And that's where the blessing comes, where you know it and you obey it. And so one of the things that will always happen at Life Source Church is that I will give you the Word of God unadulterated. 
just, you're going to get it hard, you're going to get it fast, you're going to get it sharp, you're not going to get it watered down, you're going to get it as it is. We do not compromise on the Word of God in this, in, 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 in this church. And uh, yeah, we might get criticized for not compromising, but we make, we make a stand on God's Word and everything goes through the filter of this book. You know why? Because philosophies have come and gone. Ideologies have come and gone, but God's word is forever. And so if you want a foundation that's forever, take it on God's word. Can anybody say amen to that? I love, as a little kid in Sunday school, I learned Psalm 119.105, and it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I learned that as maybe just you know, seven or eight-year-old kid, and it so penetrated that it became the lamp and the light to my path. What does God's word say? Whenever I've got a major decision to make, what does God's word say about it? Let's, let me not make decisions that are ungodly, but let me make decisions that are godly, and you set yourself up for success. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Okay, number two. So you follow God's word. Number two, you've got to follow God's ways. So this is the thing, is that you can know the word of God, but you've got to go to the next level to know the ways of God. So the Hebrew boys not only knew the commandments of God, but they also knew the character of God. And so this is what they were able to say. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire. And even if he doesn't, it's, it's irrelevant to us because we're not going to bow. And so they understood the character of God. Now, the Bible tells us um, that Moses knew the ways of God, but the children of Israel, they only knew the acts of God. And so children only know the acts of God, but the mature know the ways of God. And the ways of God are a reflection of knowing his character, his heart, his culture, his mindset. Do you, do you know these facets of God? Do you know his character? Because let me tell you, sometimes the Bible doesn't give the answer to every single question that there is. But when you begin to know the character, the heart, the culture, the mindset of God, you can answer every question that there is. Because there's a reflection of, no, this is the way that God thinks. This is the way that God acts. This is the very culture and mindset of God. And so you can navigate life by knowing the ways of God. And this is where you've got to go to another level to know the ways of God, where you become intimate with God. So you can know about God, but to know God is knowing his ways. And that's why in the Bible, the psalmist, David, cries out, Lord, show me your ways. I want to know your ways. In, in Psalm 27 verse 11, he says, Lord, teach me your ways. I want to know not just your commands, not just your word, not just the letter. I want to know your character. I want to know something about the way you operate. And let me tell you something. The best way that you can do that is just study the life of Jesus. Because if there was anyone that came to share with us the ways and the character and the culture of God, it's Jesus. So, so I, I find that when I read the life of Jesus, I get to know God better. I find that I get to understand God better. Because what happens is that 
Jesus comes into scenarios and situations where there's not just, okay, this is what the Bible says about this. It's, it's a scenario that's got all sorts of angles to it. And just the way that he navigates through it gives a revelation of the ways of God. I mean, just, just think about the scenario of the woman caught in adultery. Okay, just, just think about that. Because it's interesting to have just all the different features that are, that, that are there. You've got this woman caught in the act of adultery. There's no question about the fact that she's an adulteress. Okay, that's, that's established. But how do we deal with this situation? Well, you've got the scribes and Pharisees that they only know the Word of God. And so because they only know the Word of God, they're declaring, okay, this is what the Word says. If someone's caught in the act of adultery, they will be stoned. But you know what? In their heart of hearts, they must have felt this doesn't compute. This is a hard one. And Jesus, even though he knows the word of God, he's not going to go that way. He's going to go another way, and that's the way that will trap him. And so even for them, there was a confusion between the word of God and the ways of God. But there was no confusion with Jesus. No confusion whatsoever. Because the ways of God will always go towards forgiveness. It'll always go towards grace. And so then Jesus just maneuvers the whole thing from the legalism of the word to the grace of the ways of God and gave everybody an opportunity to pull back. Okay, so you want to be legalistic? Okay, that's what the word says. You can actually stone this woman if you really want to, but on one condition, that only those without sin pick up the stones and start throwing them at her. Okay, let's back away slowly. Let's just pretend that we weren't even here. And before you knew it, everybody backed away very slowly because they all kind of felt this might be the word of God, but not the ways of God. And so by the time that all disappeared, Jesus is, is, is confronting this woman. He's He's... You know, and, and he was the only one without sin. So he's the one that could have picked up the stone and hurled it at her. But then this dialogue starts with her. Hey, where are your accusers? Well, they're all gone. Well, actually, the one who could have accused her was still there. And then, and then with compassion and grace, he ministers the ways of God to her and says, look, I, I don't accuse you, but... I want you to understand that you did sin, that you did offend God, but I'm giving you an opportunity right now to stop offending God and to stop sinning and to start again. Wow. See, Jesus not for one second condoned the sin. For not one second did he say, you know what, it's all right. You know what, you want to sleep around? It's okay. You want to sleep with somebody else's husband? That's all right. That doesn't bother me. You know, these people are just a bit legalistic. I'm a bit freer than that. No, 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 no. There was a very clear line with sin. But Jesus was also open to give people a second chance. You know, and that's something that we have to, when we understand the ways of God, we don't come across as ugly to the sinners. 
So don't come across as ugly. Let, let me say something really controversial. Okay, are you ready for this? Are you ready for me to say something really controversial? Because there's huge debate about um, uh, what, you know, gay marriage and huge debate about homosexuality and huge debate about this, that and the other. Let me, let me make it really clear. For me, it falls into the same category as adultery. I'm not, I'm not picking on homosexuality as the highest sin. I'm just saying it's amongst a whole bunch of other sins. It's like the sin of adultery. And how we respond to that is a reflection of us. How Jesus responded to adultery would be exactly the same way that he'd respond to homosexuality. And that's with grace and love and compassion, but also with a very clear line in the sand. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And I'm saying there's lots of interpretations. We'll go back to point number one. How do you interpret God's word? Well, I don't like what God's word says, so I'll put my interpretation to it. You can't do that. If you're really going to be honest, you have to interpret God's word in its entirety. And when you interpret God's words in its entirety, you'll see that God declares what sin is to protect you from being damaged. And so as a pastor, I can't say, well, you know what? 21st century humanity kind of doesn't see that as a sin anymore. Doesn't make any difference for me. I don't care what 21st century humanity says. I care what God's word says. He said, what, what, aren't you compassionate? No, I'm compassionate, and that's the way that I do life. Not condemning people and pointing the finger of condemnation, but just saying, we want to reach out with love and compassion, but we're not going to water down God's words or God's ways by just saying sin isn't sin anymore. Can you do that with love in your heart? Can you do it with compassion in your voice? Because if you can't do it, then don't be a scribe and Pharisee. They just, whoa, the world's words like this. And, and there's so many people on social media, on the internet, whoa, God's word says this. And God's ways doesn't water down the word, but the way it says it is with love and compassion. Are we getting that? Are, are you sure we're getting that? Because then we can move on to point number three. So point number, oh, you know, just, I love that. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, because there he will teach us his ways. And so that's what I'm wanting to do today, not just teach you God's word, but teach you God's ways. And when you put the two of them together, there's just something powerful when you don't water down God's words, but you understand God's ways and you put those two things together. Point number three. So not only follow God's word, follow God's ways, and then follow God's son. I love this. I'm going to finish on following God's son. Because what happened, I mean, the story with uh, getting back to Daniel was that the king got really upset that they wouldn't bow down. So he said, turn the fire up, make it really, really hot. And then what, they, what it, they did, they threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. And uh, they threw them, bound, into the fiery furnace. And the only thing that burned in the fiery furnace were the cords that bound them. 
And then I love what this says. Then the king, verse 24, then the king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Then he says, look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like that of the son of God. Wow. How awesome is that? Can I just say to you that Fiery trials are all part of your journey. You can't, you can't escape the fiery trials. Everybody say fiery trials. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 4 talks about it. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. <laughs> There's nothing. How many of you have... How many of you have ever experienced a fiery trial? Well, let me tell you something. If you haven't, get ready for one. You say, oh, I came to church to get encouraged, not to get discouraged. Don't think it's a strange thing. This is what Peter is saying. Don't think it's a strange thing when you encounter a fiery trial. Because if you're going to make a stand for God, can I just say to you that expect the fiery trials. But this is the amazing thing. That what happened was this. King Nebuchadnezzar, all those guards, they thought, let's throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery fires and let's, let's, let's throw them into this furnace. And so they thought that they were throwing them into the furnace. What they didn't realize is that they weren't throwing, throwing them into the furnace. They were actually throwing them into the arms of the Son of God who was there to catch them, who was there to protect them, who was there to nurture them, who was there with this promise. Even though you walk through the fire, you shall not be hurt because I am with you. Come on, God goes into the fiery trials with us. And that's the word for some of you today, that you're not in the fire alone. The Son of God is in the fire with you. What I love about, about these guys is this, that... Uh, then this is what it says. It says, And the satraps, administrators, and governors, verse 27, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men, here it is, on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. I love this. Not even their hair was ruffled. How awesome is that? How many of you know when they do a cartoon of someone stressed, their hair is all ruffled. Huh? So these guys, not even their hair was singed or ruffled. Then it talks about their garments were immaculate and not even the smell of smoke was on them. Oh, I tell you, what a testimony that is to go through the fire and not even your hair is ruffled. Your clothes are just immaculate. And there's no smell, there's no smell of the fire upon you. Because some of us, when we go through our trials, our hair is all pulled out. Our clothes are all disheveled. And boy, oh boy, everybody knows about it. The smell of the trial is everywhere. The sound of the trial is everywhere. Everybody knows we have gone to hell and back. But not these guys. They came out immaculate. Three-piece suits, fantastically pressed. 
Ah, not one hair out of place. How many of you love that? Come on, ladies, you should love that. Just slick back. You know, God's given me what, what I call convertible car hair. I can sit in a convertible and my hair doesn't get messed up with the roof down, the windows down. When Ann, when Ann does her hair up, she says, is the roof up or the roof down on the convertible? Please put it up because it'll mess up my hair. Not me. My hair doesn't get messed up. Can you go through trials without your hair being messed up? Can you go through trials with no smell of the trial upon you? Because you've come out understanding that the fourth man, the son of God, has gone through with you. Guys, you've got to understand, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear the evil. Why? Because he is with you. The thing that I love about God is that he is with you. How awesome is that? How many of you got footprints in the sand? I, I, I want to do another one called um, a long line in the sand. Uh, how many of you know the long line in the sand? Uh, Lord, during my hardest times, there was only one set of footprints, and it was you carrying me. And Jesus says, it was me carrying you. I like the, the other one with the long line in the sand. Lord, when I was through my hardest times, how come there was a line in the sand? And God is saying, that's where I was dragging you, kicking and screaming all the way. (laughs) How many of you have been there kicking and screaming all the way? God's having to drag you. We're not camping in the trial. We're going through. Oh, God, I want to get out the other end. No, no, no. You've got to go through it to get out. But I don't like being in it. No, no. You've just got to go through it. It's part of the kicking and screaming, kicking and screaming until you come to the other end. And now I can stand. But your hair's all ruffled. Your clothes are a mess. Stress is everywhere. You know why? Because you don't understand that fiery trials are part of life. You don't understand that you just got to go through. Once it starts, you just got to go through. And you go through just connecting with God. God, you're in this with me. I'm going to talk to you through it. I'm just believing that the fire is going to burn me. I'm just going to believe the only thing that the fire destroys are the bonds that have got me chained up. The only thing that fire destroys is those straps that have been around me for too long. Those straps were on me before I went into the fire, but the fire has burnt them off. The fire has given me a liberty that I didn't have before. Before I went into the fire, I was bound. But in the fire, the bonds got burnt up. The only thing the fiery trial does, it liberates you from a bond. It makes you better. It makes you stronger. It increases your faith. You come through the other end knowing that the Son of God is with you. Come on. This is my encouragement to you. Follow the sun. Follow the sun. Follow the sun. Follow the sun. And I want to finish with this because I love verse 28. And it goes, and Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies shielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any God except their God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be cut into pieces. Their homes shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Can I just say to you, the day will come when you will be vindicated. 
there's a day of vindication happening. Maybe you're in the midst of trial and everybody is angry with you and everybody's shouting you down. But if you follow God's word, you follow God's ways, you follow God's son, the day of vindication is around the corner. It's coming your way. You will be vindicated. You will be vindicated. And you know what else will happen? Those who didn't follow God's word, those who didn't follow God's ways, those who didn't follow God's son will be exposed. Unrighteousness will always be exposed. Just be patient for that day where you will be vindicated and unrighteousness will be exposed. Don't take it upon yourself to make it happen. Let God do it in his time. Because righteousness will always be vindicated. Unrighteousness will always be exposed. You say, but, 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 but I can't see it happening. It's not your responsibility. Just release. Let it go. Just trust God will vindicate you one day. But I want it now. No, that's not God's ways. Well, when, when, when will God vindicate? In his time. But I want it now. Just be patient because God's doing something in the meantime. What's he doing? You've got some bonds that need to be cut off. There's some chains that need to be burnt off. You haven't been in the fire long enough for them to be burnt off yet. They're just still burning till you can be free to lift up those hands to worship and say, God, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Are those bonds released where you can do that? Not yet. Well, maybe you need to stay in the fire a bit longer. Oh, but it's burning me. No, it's trying to burn your bonds. You're not going to come out with the smell of smoke. Those bonds are being released from you. Just let God do it. 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 Let God do it. Let God do it. Thanks for listening to this message from Life Source Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.